Morning again, church. I think the pulpit got moved. I'm going to move it up. There we go. That feels right. I just wanted to uh, just briefly mention two other uh, announcements. One, they're, they're both in your bulletin, by the way. One is that we have a membership class starting next Sunday, and it'll run for four weeks. So if you're interested in membership, uh, come check it out. Participation in the class doesn't commit you to anything. Just come and learn more about what membership is all about, and that's, that's what we're going to do. So we've already got a, a good handful signed up for that, but there's uh, always room for more. And of course, we'd love to have everyone uh, know the Lord Jesus and, and join the church in, ba- in, uh, in baptism and in membership. That's my other announcement, baptism. Uh, we have a baptism service that we're planning for uh, Sunday, June 12th. So if you have not been baptized, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you've not yet been baptized as a believer, uh, I'd invite you to come and, and uh, explore that with me. Uh, just let me know. Fill out, put that out on the Connect card or shoot me an email, and uh, I'd love to work with you towards that. But we've got a number of uh, baptism candidates for June 12th, so that's going to be a really great encouragement to all of us on that Sunday. So mark that on your calendars. Don't miss that. All right, let's get to the Word. Last week, we began John chapter 6, and we looked at his famous miracle, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. And those first 14 verses really are going to lay the foundation for the entire chapter of John chapter 6. And Lord willing, we'll get to the rest of that next week. But really, the feeding of the 5,000 lays the foundation for Jesus' teaching on him being the bread of life. And that's for next week. But today, we come to John's brief account in the midst of this, John's brief account of Jesus walking on the water. And a question we've got to ask ourselves is why? Why this story? Why in this place and told in this way? We know that John was very selective with the material that he chose for his gospel. In fact, he even tells us there were many other things that Jesus did that I didn't include in this book, right? I couldn't, there's not enough paper in the world to write them all down, but he chose these ones. Uh, the gospels we know were curated to, for, for a purpose, to communicate something purposefully. There's much that's left out of this account. This is actually the shortest account of Jesus walking on the water. And uh, so what is is it that that John, in writing this, wants to tell us? What does he want to highlight? Uh, So why is the story sandwiched in between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus' commentary on the bread of life? Uh, What is he trying to highlight? What is John trying to tell us? And that's what we're going to get after uh, this morning in John chapter 6. So so let's find out. Let's discover it together. It's time to grab your Bibles. Take those out. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, But I invite you to stand with me once you find that out of reverence for God's Word. If you're using a Pew Bible, by the way, it's on page 1059. And once you're there, follow along with me as I read. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near their boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful and rich. Thank you that it is sufficient to make us more like you. Father, we thank you for uh, this great gift. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher now, that our hearts would be opened to hear your word, and that your word would take root in our hearts and bear great fruit for your kingdom. Change us today, Lord, as we spend time together in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Let's explore some context here. Jesus has just fed a crowd that could have been as large as 20,000 people once we consider uh, the women and children present there. And he's got their attention. He's just fed this massive crowd with the, the meager lunch of a poor boy. And they're starting to draw conclusions that Jesus isn't intending. Jesus is reading the crowd. They're getting jazzed up. They're in a frenzy. And they're, they're about to come and force a crown on his head and declare independence and dare the Romans to stop them. They're thinking, hey, here's a guy that we could you know, make the figurehead of our movement here, our revolution, right? We'll make Jesus the guy. Clearly he has some skills, right? And people are following him. Right? So we can use this to kind of galvanize the nation, declare our independence, kick those Romans out. And all of this is on their minds, of course, because it's the Passover. And they're thinking about you know, Moses and deliverance from slavery in Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. All those things are on their minds. So they've got rebellion on their minds and in their hearts. I mentioned this last week, the, the prophecy of the future prophet like Moses who would come. But the Jews were thinking that this prophet would be a military leader who would drive out the Romans and, and reclaim their promised land. And they were thinking that Jesus could be this man. Well, Jesus is the prophet that God promised. And he is also a king. But he's not the kind of king that the people had in mind. You see, in their minds and hearts, the people's biggest problem in life was the Roman occupation. And they wanted to use Jesus to get their land back. But Jesus had bigger plans. Jesus had far bigger plans. Many Christians get derailed today in a similar way, thinking that our biggest problem is who's in the White House. Or who our elected officials are. And the solution is to use Jesus to get other people elected. To get different people there. That's our biggest problem, some think. Again, Jesus has bigger plans. Jesus has bigger plans. 
Pick up, picking up on this, Jesus, he slips away. He's not going to let this happen. He's going to slip away further up and into the mountain by himself. And what he's about to do next, and the purpose, I think, why John included this story here, is to show his disciples and us what kind of king he really is. What kind of king he really is and intends to be. The same thing he taught his disciples when he tested their faith in the feeding of the 5,000. He's going to teach that same lesson again, but in a different way. And this time only to his disciples, so that they don't get the same ideas that the crowd is starting to get. Okay, That's why I think John put this story here. So we're going to get at it. What kind of king is Jesus? Our first point here, he's a holy king. He's a holy king. Look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Notice that the first time John tells us that the disciples were afraid is not when the wind picks up. It's not when the seas become rough, but here's when they get afraid. They see Jesus walking on the water. That's when they become frightened. Imagine the scene. It's dark. The winds are strong. The sea is rough. And there's a man walking on top of the water, and he's coming near your boat. I don't know about you, that would freak me out, okay? That would freak me out pretty bad. And here's, and here's the reality. Fear is a natural reaction that we all have when, when we encounter something supernatural. When we encounter something that just defies all of the senses, it's unnerving, it's, it's, it's unsettling, and we, we become afraid. One reason for this is because Jesus is holy. He's holy. And, and one thing that holy means is to be set apart. Meaning that God is utterly different than anything in all creation And so when someone encounters something just utterly different from anything in the created world, it's genuinely scary. And this is what happened to Moses when he came upon the burning bush. And he hears the the voice of God speaking to him from this burning bush. He was afraid. Another reason for this kind of fear is that when you encounter the one true and holy God, you are confronted with your finite creatureliness your weaknesses, and you're overwhelmed by a sense of your smallness in the presence of a holy God. This was Isaiah's experience. When he had his vision of the Lord on his throne in Isaiah 6, he sees these strange heavenly creatures, the cherubim and seraphim, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the foundation of the throne room starts shaking. And he's, it's filled with smoke. And there's Isaiah. And Isaiah shouts these words in Isaiah uh, verse, six of chap- or verse 5 of chapter 6. He says, Woe is me! 
For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's in that moment. He's, just, he's confronted with his smallness, with his creatureliness. In the, in the presence of the holy. One more example. John, the writer of this very gospel, encounters this has this experience in Revelation chapter 1. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So there's three different examples from the scriptures of people encountering God in his holiness. And here we see a holy king, Jesus, walking on the waters. And now back to John 6. Jesus, he's making a statement about the kind of king that he is. He's not some kind of human king with royal robes that will fade or a crown that will tarnish. He's not the poster child for some tiny revolution. He is holy. He is holy. And defies the senses. This is the first thing that Jesus shows his disciples. He's not the kind of king people want him to be or expect him to be. He's something entirely different. All right, the second thing he wants to show us here is uh, that uh, he's a powerful king. He's a powerful king. Unlike any king before him or any king that will come after him, it's helpful here to be reminded of the biblical symbolism wrapped up in this idea of the sea. The sea, biblically, is, is a concept, it's a, it's a symbol for chaos. It's a symbol for chaos. And the power that John is highlighting here for us is that Jesus is, more, is a more powerful king than anyone could ever have imagined, so powerful that he rules even over chaos. Psalm 89.9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Or Psalm 29, we read this about the Lord. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Jesus is trying to say, I'm that God. I am that God. However powerful the rough seas may seem, Jesus walks on top of them. And he is Lord over the turbulence. 
He says to his disciples in verse 20, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I. And notice what happens next though. The fear they felt in the presence of the holy has now turned to gladness. And those things aren't uh, mutually exclusive to one another. They go hand in hand. We're to fear a holy God, but we're to also welcome him with gladness, knowing that he draws near to us. He says, don't be afraid. Jesus is showing his disciples that not only does he have power to tame the chaos going on around them, but he also has the power to tame the the, the chaos inside of them. He's turning their fear into gladness. He walks on top of it. And when the chaos of doubt or uncertainty or emotional pain or, or fear comes creeping in, Jesus, with a word, he says to you as he says to the disciples, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So Jesus is a holy king. He's a powerful king. This is our last point. He's a helping king. He's a helpful king. Notice that while the disciples are, are scared they, and they see Jesus walking on the water, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say this. Hey guys, I saw the weather report. It's going to be over soon. Just hang in there. Or just hold on long enough. I'm sure it's going to pass soon. Or, uh, hey, every cloud has a silver lining. Hang in there, guys. Take heart. The storm isn't as bad as you think. You know, it's been worse here, you know. So uh, hang in there, guys. No, he doesn't say any of that. And the point here is this that I'm trying to make. Jesus will never minimize the storm. Instead, he always maximizes himself. He never minimizes the storm. He always maximizes himself. And he does this here when he says, it is I. Don't be afraid. He's drawing attention to himself, not to the storm or to the rough waters. He's saying, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus will not cheer you on from a distance as some sort of cosmic cheerleader. He offers us help in the form of his presence. He offers his presence. He doesn't give you tips on how to row or how to navigate the storm. He gives you his presence. He helps us. And that's exactly John's point in verse 21. They were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the solution to the storm. This is the solution to the rough waters. They gladly take Jesus into the boat. Notice two things about how Jesus is our helping king here. First, think with me for a moment about the comfort of a life raft. I don't know if any of you have ever had the privilege of being on a life raft. But on a life raft, it's a little bit different than being in the boat. In the boat, you've got to take orders. There's someone over you. But in the life raft, you call the shots. You're, you're the captain of that little life raft. And we like control. We like to feel like we're in control. You're not taking orders from the captain. You're calling the shots. I mentioned this last week. We love to be in control or at least think we are. 
Because the loss of control is terrifying, isn't it? When you feel out of control, it's terrifying. So a life raft represents control. It represents security, comfort, safety. And we build our lives around whatever we think it is that will give us these things. There's a famous poem by uh, William Ernest Henley that encapsulates the spirit quite well. It's It's a poem called Invictus. Take a listen. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Doesn't that encapsulate the spirit of our age? You know, I am the captain of my soul. People like it because it it makes them feel powerful. We're in control. I'm the captain of my soul. But listen, listen, this spirit will ultimately shipwreck your soul. If you're the captain of your soul, then you're, you're bound for a shipwreck. Your life raft, whatever it is that you're building your life around that's not Jesus, it's deficient. It's inadequate. It will ultimately shipwreck your soul. And part of the problem is that you don't know it. You don't know that your, your life rafts are inadequate. And so this is how Jesus helps. It's going to sound strange to say it, but he helps us by sending us into storms in the first place. And here's why. It's because the storms actually show us that our rafts are inadequate and that we need a new and better captain for our souls. It's the storms and the rough water that show us these things. And when li- in the waters of life, when, when they get rough and your souls are unsettled and you realize that you're not as in control as you hoped you were, that's when Jesus comes walking on top of the chaos, holy and powerful, over it all. And he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. And this is the moment the disciples gladly take Jesus into their boat. He's now the captain. And in another miracle, John says that they immediately arrived on the land, on the shore to where they were going. One way Jesus helps is by sending storms to show us our need for a new and better captain. The other way Jesus helps you is that as your captain, he ensures that you will make it to your destination. The safety of the shores. There's many times in life when when you take matters into your own hands and you don't end up getting to, your, to the destination you want. Jesus' disciples 
didn't make it to the shore by rowing harder. They only made it there after they took in Jesus, the holy and powerful king, into their boat. That's how they got there. This is how it still is today. You will never get to the good shore that Jesus wants to give you if you are determined to call the shots. You need a new and better captain who is holy and powerful and will help you get there. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. The destination that Jesus has for you is to be with the Father. And the only way to get there is through him. And Jesus helps us get there by doing all of the work for us. Our problem is that sin separates us from a holy God. Blood must be shed for sin to be forgiven. And it's Jesus who died in our place and rose again to bring us to the Father. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to do this, you have to first admit that you're helpless and that your raft is inadequate. You've got to admit that. You will never please the Father by trying your hardest, just like the disciples didn't get to the shore by rowing their hardest. You've got to give up the wheel. You've got to yield control to Jesus, Jesus alone, and he will bring you to the mighty refuge of the Father. He's not the king the people expected. He was better. He's a holy king. He's a powerful king. He's a helpful king. May the rough waters in your life show you your need for Jesus, the true and better king. Give up the wheel. Take Jesus into your boat, into your life. Trust that his death in your place and his resurrection on the third day are enough. They're enough to cover your sin and bring you to the shores of the Father. The truest and greatest rest for our souls. A few moments ago I read the poem Invictus. I want to conclude with this brief poem I found in some Tim Keller writings. He says this, His love in time past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last in the trouble to sink. By prayer let me wrestle and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this short lesson here in the Gospel of John. Thank you for the lesson you taught your disciples by coming to them on the rough waters. That you are a king unlike anything anyone ever expected. A true and better king. Thank you that you are holy and that you are powerful and that you help us get to the Father by doing all the work for us. Your life, your death, your resurrection as a payment for all of our sin. God, we, we thank you for that. Help us to know our need for you. Even those of us who've been following you for some time, how easy it is to forget 
and to take that wheel back into our own hands and to fall on that, that self-deceiving uh, way of, of thinking that we know best. Help us to know our need for you, to take you into our lives, knowing you alone, Jesus, will bring us safely to shore. Amen.